Welcome to your Right to Speak discussions on social justice and advocacy. This is episode 37, and I'm your host, Salvatore. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Karen Prosper, the executive director of Airborne House, and a returning guest, Catherine Ellis Dobson, who is the assistant director at Airborne House. Um, Airborne House is a residential group home, and we'll be talking about the services they offer and some of the gaps that the agency is facing. Both of my guests today have a large amount of experience in social services, so I'm very excited to hear from them and learn from their experiences. Would you all like to introduce yourself? I'm Karen Prosper, and I've been at Arabon for 32 years. Um, I started as a frontline worker, moved up to the assistant director, and have been the executive director now for, I think, 20 years. I'm Catherine Ellis Dobson. Um, I've been here at Arabon now for, I don't even know, 20, 25, 24, Four. 24 years. Um, as well, I started as um, frontline um, and then moved up to the assistant director. Um, and I also uh, work part time at George Brown teaching um, the child and youth care course. Well, I'm very excited to have you both on the show today, and we're going to do in your right to speak fashion and just dive right into the conversation. Would you all like to give a brief history of Airborne House, how it started, um, how it involved into the program that you all have now? Okay. It started in 1973, and we've been around now for 45 years. Um, Arabon Houses uh, provided adolescent girls, many of whom have adult, have mental health issues, um, safe shelter, positive life skills, non-judgmental emotional support. Um, as the executive director here, I've seen a lot of change over the last 32 years of our of the youth, as well as changes in the society. Um, but whatever uh, is still constant is the need. Mm-hmm. for Arabon House. Um, <clears throat> we were founded by Sister Maria Lanthier, who has a long history in working to improve the lives of women, the status of women and girls in Canada and around the world. Um, she, in 1973, identified, it an, an, identified a need for supportive housing and services in the Parkdale area for young women. And she inspired uh, community support that led to the acquisition of the house we're in right now. Keeping with the sister Maria was a uh, is a Loretto sister, and um, in keeping with the spirit of the Loretto sisters, Arabon was established to ensure that girls who struggle with emotional and mental health challenges have access and opportunity to gain the knowledge, skills, and resources to reach their their potential and become engaged, contributing members of society. The name Arabon is a Greek word that means a promise of new things to come, of hope. It perfectly reflects the mission of our, of our agency. Arabon respects and encourages the uniqueness of every one of the youth who has come through our doors, all of whom are between the ages of 13 and 18, and who continue to serve them and we continue to serve them, if necessary, until their 20th birthday. Arabon provides a holistic service 
to all young women admitted to our program, and we're committed to empathy, learning, safety, diversity, and empowerment. It sounds like Airbonds done a lot of great work and it's involved into a wonderful program and I'm not saying that because I work here uh, <laughs> and from what I understand up until this date we've served around five or six hundred youth yes we have um, we don't only have Arabon house itself in 1994 we opened Lanthier place which is a co-op for nine uh, girl youth um, between the ages of 16 and 24 and we have a live-in mentor that lives in one of the apartments and the other three apartments have three bedrooms um, in each one right so it sounds like you know we've kind of touched upon what I next want to talk about but if you have anything else to add what is Airborne House's mandate and what type of programs or services does Airborne offer and I'm going to ask you three questions and I'll re-ask it again if you forget uh, what are the what makes Airborne different from other residential group homes our mandate is, well, we get all our referrals from CARS, which is a centralized access mm -hmm. to residential services um, for Toronto. So any professional referral comes through them. And we, pretty, we take such a wide range of youth. We work with youth with um, mental health uh, challenges, um, developmental issues, and um, youth with substance use as well. There really isn't any type of youth that we wouldn't take unless there's like I guess huge safety concerns that we couldn't um, manage for whatever reason if we felt we couldn't keep them safe um, and I think as I've mentioned before it works really well we're a good step down from more mm. intensive services right, like right. if they've been in the system a long time and they've been in a more intensive program we work really well to help continue to you know um, consolidate all their treatment gains, but then build on those and give them more independence right. so they can live more independently. And this is an all-girls group mm -hmm. home, and mm -hmm. we also accept really any girl who identifies as, as female. female. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's Arabon's uh, mandate. We also, when you talk about the programs that it offers, I mean, we have the intensive uh, residential treatment home, which is Arabon. And then, um, as Karen already mentioned, we have Lanthier Place, um, which, you know, some of our youth go to if they're able to handle that much independence. And then we also have a Hope for Youth program, which is a partnership um, with Stepstones. Um, and uh, that all our youth that graduate from this program, so if they, after they finish at Arabon or, or while they're at Lanthier, they all receive a full-time aftercare worker which can follow them till their 24th birthday, and they can help them with any needs they have, whether it be um, housing, employment, counseling, um, post-secondary education, pretty well anything, right. any, whether they have children, any of that kind of stuff. So those are the three programs. Um, Arabon, um, I think you, your second part to that question was... What makes Arabon House different? I think our biggest thing that makes us different is we use a client-focused wellness model. We really focus on strengths and build on their strengths rather than on their um, their deficits or 
I don't even like to use that word or negative, whatever, you know, anything that brought them in here, build on those strengths. And, um, we do individual treatment plans so that each youth has their own goals, their own program. A lot of them have their own rules. Like we tell them right at intake that no two youths program is the same and that, um, you know, it's not unusual for each youth to have a totally different program with different rules. It's whatever works for their treatment needs. Um, and we don't fit the program around. I mean, the youth doesn't have to fit into the program. We will fit the program around their needs. Um, I think another way we're different is that we really, although we are an accredited children's mental health center, this is their home. And we try to, that's first and foremost. I mean, treatment goes hand in hand, but it really, it's their home and it needs to feel like their home. Um, and then it's a treatment center as well. Um, and I think the other thing that makes this really different is the culture of the agency. Um, it's what you, and when you just think of what culture is, it's what you feel kind of when you walk in the front door, mm -hmm. what the agency um, feels like. And we had an accreditation, I think it was accreditation or was it licensing? No, it was accreditation. accreditation who kind of, you know, when they were giving us our feedback after going through the process, they, they mentioned something along the lines that they kind of wish they could bottle the feeling. If you could bottle that feeling and sell it, you know, to other agencies, then because it's um, it's very unique, they said, to this yeah. environment. So when I thought of that, I thought, I think it's the culture. And the cultural inc culture includes so much is embedded in the culture. But I think another huge part to that is that we really focus on employee wellness. You know, like if you haven't got your staff in good shape and your team isn't in good shape, then it's really going to affect the youth ultimately. So we really take our um, employee wellness policies, um, you know, seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, and Karen often says your family comes first. You know, even though we're here for the youth, if the staff aren't in good shape and aren't taking care of what they need to in their own personal lives, within reason, of right. course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you still have to be at work. Um, yeah, that's so much a part of the culture as well. It's true, though. There is a sense of... Yeah home-like feel that you get when you walk through the doors of Airbonne. I noticed it when, and again, I'm not saying this because I work here or y'all hired me, mm -hmm. but um, you, you do, like when I was here for my first interview as Relief, it was a sense of home. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, kind of piqued my interest of wanting to work here. Because you hear the stories of different, you know, residential group homes. And, you know, I've heard that some group homes have put locks on fridges because you're not allowed to eat past, you know, a certain time. And we really don't do that. And, you know, often when I'm talking to, you know, I guess new CYCs entering the field, for me, it's all about having that philosophical belief fit well with the agency that you're working with. And, you know, my big thing in school was why can't we hug a kid, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes when someone is depressed or crying, you know, you sometimes you just need to be in that moment and hug, right? Mm -hmm. And we do that here, right? Um, and I think that's so important. We kind of, for me, it's understanding the human condition. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the client-focused wellness model. Now, I didn't know too much about that before I started here. So mm -hmm. I was wondering if one of you two or both could speak a little bit more of what is the client-focused wellness model? Every kid is unique, mm. and they all come with their own baggage and we are very um, 
individualized here and we work on, like Catherine had said earlier, um, we, we work on their strengths and making and building up their strengths, but each kid has their also their own unique strengths. So every single kid that ever comes through any of our programs is always, um, it's an individual, very individualized. And so we work on making them more well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a unique thing because often when you hear about, you know, different agencies, they're trying to fit the youth into the program. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of do it reverse. Yeah, right? yeah. We're tailoring our work and meeting really one of the principles of CYC is meeting them where they're at, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember many, many, many years ago, we were very much more, um, you know, Tuesday night is program night and we all get in the bus and we all go to the Y, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> and I always used to wonder, how do we just, like, you know, what if a kid has more homework and can't get mm-hmm. in the bus and go off to the Y? And that particular day, homework was more important than the Y. So, you know, so slowly over the years, we became much more individualized. Mm-hmm. I think another part to it, too, is building up their support network when they leave. Um, that, you know, anything they have involved in the community when they come in, so if they have part-time employment or, or counseling or some kind of youth group they're in or they belong to a gym, whatever it is, we try to keep those in place and build on that rather than say, no, our program, yeah. like you said, is Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. You got to be home. You got to be, how does that make any sense if they're already doing something so productive in the community, which is where we have to reintegrate them back right. into. Yeah. And, you know, we've often, you know, had girls entering our, you know, house mm-hmm. <laughs> saying that, you know, they're coming from an agency where their program, let's say, was to watch a movie and they had a whole bunch of homework, but they weren't able to do their homework because it was program night. So they had to watch a movie and they weren't even participating in the program because all they can think about is all the homework they have to do. Mm-hmm. Um so I do think it's so important, and I'm sure the advocate's office will love to know that how individualized we are. <laughs> that means there are those programs, though, that are way more intensive, and and the youth do need that in that moment. Right. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not saying that there's not a need yeah, for, for that sure. structured, intensive treatment type of program. Right, right. Yeah, because there is. There is, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, we're semi-independent living, so we're kind of... I both. think we're both. We are. We're both. We have the we're luxury both. of yes. being able yes. to do both, which is nice. Yeah. And it's also really important for these kids to do some of that group mm-hmm. work, for mm-hmm. sure, so that they learn how to how to um, be a member of a group. Mm-hmm. Because once they move away from here, you know, they're going to go through life being members of different kinds of groups right. and having to know how to function. Um, properly, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better word, in groups. So you still have to have some group activities within our individualized programming. Yeah. What would you say would be some of the impact that Airborne House has had on the community or on the youth that you've served up until now, I guess? I would say that we we pride ourselves on being a small agency mm-hmm. and having the luxury of not having to go through all kinds of hoops, for lack of a better word, right. for uh, things of, for kids to do. I'm not explaining myself very well. Um, 
Yeah, it sounds like that, you know, Airborne House doesn't have what a lot of bigger agencies may have with like the bureaucracy and, you know, yeah. because we're small, we can kind of, we have, we're privileged enough to kind of tailor our programming to the individual needs of the youth. That's right. And I mean, because we're small and we're not, we don't look institutional, mm-hmm. um, this is their home for the period of time that they live with us. A lot of our kids come from such chaotic um, backgrounds that they, this is their first home that they've felt safe in. Right, right. And they've learned some life skills. And uh, um, so that when they leave Arabon, they can move on and um, be um, contributing members of, of society. I mean, we even have youth that um, have been and are on our board. Um, they're no longer in care or anything. They've moved on to jobs, but we've over the years had youth that have come back and sat on our and been great members of our board of directors. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one thing sometimes we have an impact on that we take for granted is sometimes it's they've formed a relationship with somebody here. You know, we've helped them form a meaningful relationship because for some of them they've never had the experience of a healthy, meaningful relationship. So I think that's huge. And then I think another way we impact them or hope to is to help them to learn to live with their mental health, you know, first to recognize that they may have a mental health challenge, um, accept that they have one sometimes takes a really, really long time to just get them to accept it. Um, but also to, sometimes challenge it when they need to challenge it, that yes, I have mental health and how can I cope with it? You know, how am I still going to be a happy, um, productive person and live with this mental health? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Like it kind of sounds like we're setting them up for success in a way saying that there is life outside of the group home, Mm -hmm. right? So when they do transition out, they're able to have the skills that they need to continue on building the work that we've done with them here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to have their their family, whatever their family mm-hmm. might look like. It doesn't mean it's their biological Bi- family. Right. It can be friends out in the community that are their chosen families. Um, we also do it if the family is something important, like the biological family is something important to the youth. We do try to engage them so that they have better relationships mm-hmm. with them. If the youth is ready to do family counseling, we encourage it. But we meet the kids where they where they are ready to, to do. We don't force them. So I just want to change the conversation slightly and talk about what you think or feel are some of the gaps that you've experienced or have seen in you know residential group homes and what do you think needs to change to make these services better for youth? Well, the big gap is always Arabon is, you know, intensive treatment until they're 18, maybe 19. Um, And they've done so much work while they're here. And then there's the adult system that doesn't have the intensive treatment Mm -hmm. that the youth system has. Um, And even our own Lanthier place it's it's a co-op 
there's no staffing on site. There's just a mentor that lives there. So the kids that do live, the ones that are successful there, are ones that um, are almost ready to live independently, but not a hundred percent. And they just need that little that little bit of support from the mentor or the aftercare worker. So we have this bunch of kids, transitional age youth, that really would benefit from a um, treatment until they're tw- at around 24. Because some of our kids, once they're out of here, at, we, because we have an aftercare program, we're still in contact with them. And some of them slip so far backwards because there isn't the right programming right. out there for them. And that's something that we would we hope one day <laughs> that we will be able to be one of those agencies that can work with those kids in that big gap. And, yeah, go on. Well, I, was, I was just going to say, like, I'm thinking of a youth that we just discharged, you know, a few months ago, and she, it was the first time, again, like when you talk about impact, the first time she's had a home, the first time she said she'd come home and people would be like, how was your day? What happened? You know, and, and she'd be able to work through all those um, developmental challenges that youth at that age have, even when they're living in a so-called normal household, you know, they have someone to support them through probably one of the most difficult times of your life, you know, leaving home and going out on your own and going into post-secondary and all that entails, if that's where they're going or getting a first job or whatever it is. And there's no one to support them through that. You know, they're not only may this be the first time they've had a therapeutic or, or even just any kind of relationship with anyone or just having their basic needs met and it's maybe only maybe they've only been here for less than a year and now they're expected to go out on their own at 18 or 19 and not only navigate all that on their own but navigate the adult world by themselves and what normal kid in a loving household can do that right let alone with all the challenges these youth have that does seem to be and we touched upon it on your Mm -hmm. podcast Catherine that like age seems to be a recurring issue when you know, often have conversations about residential group home. It's it's age that keeps on coming up. That's a huge gap, and there needs to be some sort of support or middle point for when youth transition out of a group home and before they enter the adult system. There needs to be this like middle ground where they can kind of further develop the skills that they're learning um, and get them ready for the adult system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, we're lucky we have an aftercare program that work that does so much good right. work with our kids, um, which fills the gap a little bit, but it's not residential, and mm-hmm. it would, you know, so there's still still that huge gap. Well, hopefully one day. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. If all the government people are listening on this podcast, we can <laughs> change the policies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'm going to stop the conversation of residential group home for a little bit or for now. And cause you all have had a lot of experience in this field. <laughs> I wanted to kind of ask you both some reflective questions as CYCs do. What can you, what advice can you offer CYCs entering a residential setting for the first time? Or any time. <laughs> well, um, it's hard work, but it's good work. It's hard. Sometimes you feel like you're hitting your head against the wall because you have 
you want this kid to uh, be successful, but this youth isn't ready yet. Mm -hmm. So you have to really be able to look at those eensy, weensy, teeny tiny little steps that they make um, and not... um, Society's goals. Yes. You know, just be happy that these kids are making these little gains and then down the road, when you do look back on all the work this youth has done, you will then see, you know, quite often um, where they came in and now where they are in their journey. Uh, you also have to remember that, you know, some kids, I'm afraid you ha- you can't help. Yeah. And you can't beat yourself up because you can't help them. Maybe they'll get help 10 years down the road, but they're not ready yet. And you also have to remember to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, no one else is going to take care of you and you're going to burn out and you're not going to be able to do this work. Mm-hmm. Um, advice I would give would be, would be be genuine, especially in residential care because you're in their life space. Um, they can read you like an open book. Yes. You know, if you don't love the work and you're not passionate about the work, don't do the work. <laughs> um, you really, you have to be genuine. Genuine. I think have fun. Like the youth, I think that's what I love so much about residential work is it's fun. It <laughs> you is. You know, like Karen said, it's hard, hard, hard work, but you have so many chances to have fun with the youth and model um, what it's like to have fun and model how to have fun because ultimately you want them to be happy. You know, so to um, yeah, to be able to. I mean, you're a role a role model as a worker in the field. They're gonna watch you and everything you do, which means how do you resolve conflict? How do you have fun? How do you communicate? So you're modeling all that for them, just by working here, and I guess not underestimating what that impact can have. So you have to be very careful um, what you are modeling and what you are mm-hmm. teaching them, because every interaction. You're role modeling something, really yeah. and they're, truly. They're watching. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they yeah. see. Yeah. The good and the bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when you make a mistake, own up to it. Like if you yeah, do yeah. model something bad or you lose your temper or you say something inappropriate, again, going back to being genuine, go back and say, you know, I rethought that. I really messed up and I want to apologize. Because again, then you're role modeling, you know, how, yeah. to, how to fix things and yeah, I think yeah. it's so important to be authentic with the youth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was guest speaking at Humber and one of the students had asked me, um, saying, how do you detach yourself, you know, if someone is crying in a session with you? Mm-hmm. And I said, sometimes you may cry in that session and that's yeah, okay, that's right? Yeah. You know, we're human, we're, we're not robots. And I mean, that I think sets us apart from other sub-professions in mm-hmm. our field, right? Where we're able to kind of have that human connection with, you know, the young people we work with. Um, what has been the most important lesson you both have learned in your career thus far? Hmm. I think I know you and I've talked before, and I think I may have said this last time, yeah. but for me, it doesn't change. Um, to never expect the impact of the work to stop, you know, to think that you're going to get hardened to it, that you're going to be able to hear any story and it's going to start to have less and less impact on you. 
And it doesn't, you know, sometimes it gets worse <laughs> in yeah. some ways. It does as you get older. I know. It gets more, you get more emotional. About yeah. Something. And you know, and if you don't, it's my feeling, then you, you're burnt out and right. that it's time to move on because if you don't feel it anymore, you're not doing, you're not, there is nothing mm-hmm. more to give. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great lesson to learn. so I'm going to ask you what has become my trademark question Um, and we'll start with Karen first because we kind of know what Catherine's answer is a little bit what does advocacy mean to you? it means supporting the the youth to have their own voice Mm -hmm. it's to empower them to help them with what uh, with making decisions in their life and um, being confident, independent, and part of, a, of their community and able to be successful in whatever success means for them. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Catherine? I know, like I mentioned last time, the first word that came to mind was fight. You know, you have to fight for them and, you know, to get their needs met. Um, so I guess I thought a little more about how you teach advocacy to a youth and I think you first of all do it again by role modeling you know you role model how to advocate for them and then to really break it down for them and support them like Karen said to help them find their voice but to break it down so small into small steps so that they can be successful well thank you for that um before we end the conversation is there anything else y'all would like to include or say the importance of um having more funding in this uh, in this field and especially we're a small agency and our funding is very small we need to do a lot of fundraising and there's a lot of work that we do and we could do it even better if we had a little more funding a lot more funding (laughs) (laughs) I think it's uh, it's very true Uh, definitely funding needs to increase or come from somewhere. It's a yes. lot of work. Um, your right to speak will, well, well, actually, before I say that, thank you both for being on the episode. Thanks for having us. Thank you for making me do this. <laughs> You're <laughs> welcome. Take that out. <laughs> your right to speak will be posted on the second Wednesday of every month. Thank you again for both. It was uh, great learning and uh, speaking to you both. Your experience has definitely shined through in the conversation. Um, if you're a child youth that would like to be on the show or if you have a topic that you think I should be talking about, you can email me at yourrighttospeak at gmail.com. That's Y-O-U-R-R-I-G-H-T-T-O-S-P-E-A-K at G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. Let's raise awareness together. <laughs> <laughs>